So, John, if you could meet any alien from pop culture, which alien would it be? And why? So, you know in Return of the Jedi? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know in the scenes in Jabba's Palace? Y- yes. Yeah. You know how there are the two dancers? Uh, is one of the ones that gets dropped into the pit? There's the, yeah, the one with the green ear things that gets dropped into the pit. And there's mm-hmm. another one who's a big woman with six breasts. <laughs> sure, yeah. sure. I was thinking, do you reckon the male of that species has six dicks? <laughs> well, given that um, men only have one penis and women have two breasts. Oh, that's true. Some of you only has three dicks. Yeah, so does that change your answer? I can still work with that. Okay. Some films are fine, just the way they are. Other films sometimes take it way too far. But really how, how bad could it get? Let's go beyond. Beyond the bug set. Welcome everybody to Beyond the Box Set, a podcast where we pitch prequels, sequels and spin-offs to films that don't have any. I'm Harry and joining me as always is John. Hello. And we have another guest on this week, the Dante from Play D&D and a couple of other podcasts. Wait a minute, what are your podcasts called again? Let us know. <laughs> yeah, Play D&D and uh, Let's Get Contextual. So That's it. Isn't that the one you've been on? No, Kid Theory's the one I've been on. That's not even out yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what stopped me. I, I wanted to jump in with Kid Theory, but it's not out yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It'll be out soon. Working on it. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. I'm, I've heard the concept and I like it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, a lot yeah. of people have, so I feel bad that I've been holding out so long, <laughs> but it'll be coming soon. <laughs> oh, you're making us want it more, so, you know, it's probably a good thing for you in the long run. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Also, are you, are you really known as the Dante? Or? <laughs> <laughs> Again, I just completely fluffed up the intro there. I was going to go for some kind of an adjective, um, and Fabulous was the one that came to mind, but I know I used that one recently on, was it Jason or something? Uh, you, Charlie was fabulous. Charlie. Was Multiple Charlie. people can be fabulous. You know, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but I didn't want to I want to take anything away from Charlie. Oh, so, I see. You don't want to use it so much it loses all me. And, and, and so then I'd hesitated too long, so I just carried on. And just, <laughs> the Dante. See, but I like the, because it's, like, it's almost like I'm the only one. Well, like you, Madonna, you are, yeah. You <laughs> are. When people talk about Dante, you're the only one that ever comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It is your inferno, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was a weird trip, but uh, it was the most interesting vacation I ever had. So Cool. cool. <laughs> Great stuff. So uh, you've brought a good film with you this week. Yeah, and also a difficult one. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, I, I wanted to talk about Arrival. Mm-hmm. Super great film. So, well, I mean, straight away, John, do you want to just say the little story that we've got about this film? So this film actually is a very special one for me and Harry. It's kind of almost the origin of this podcast in many ways, because uh, we were in Amsterdam together two years ago. And this is the film that we watched around the same time we were kind of trying to come up with ideas for podcasts we could do together. So we went to see this in a Dutch cinema. It was in English, but subtitled in Dutch, which we watched the whole film. Like, that's okay. It's a little distracting, but it's it's a really good film, so we can forget about that. Mm-hmm. So we sit through, like, 90 minutes of this really interesting, really engaging sci-fi film. And then it gets to the bit that the entire film has been building to, which is when the aliens actually communicate with Amy Adams's character. Spoiler. And, of course, that is done by the medium of subtitles, and those subtitles were presented in Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> so we got through, like, 90 minutes of this incredible movie, and then the big reveal... Because now people speak Dutch, it's completely <laughs> lost on us. <laughs> oh god, it was very disappointing. That sounds terrible. 
we managed to figure out the basic context of what mm. the aliens must have said based on what happened at the end of the film. But actually, I remember watching the film a second time afterwards because I really, really enjoyed it and was really excited. Like, what are the aliens going to say? What are they going to say? Oh, I'm finally going to figure it out. And the result was it, actually quite disappointing. Yeah, I was going to say the same. It's so disappointing. Yeah, it's really I difficult. mean, maybe it's not for people who watched it the first time through and just mm. got it. Yeah. But for me, it was just like, oh, this just feels super lame sci-fi like yeah his his bit of time travel nonsense come mm. to our home planet help us out in 3000 years or whatever and mm. i mean I'm, I'm normally completely for that mm-hmm. like i love films like interstellar for example sure which feels like what that would be mm-hmm. but uh it was not it was not great not really what i wanted it to be i think it just goes to show that films that allow you to use your imagination are always better than films that over explain things mm, so, yeah yeah which this film doesn't this film absolutely does let you lose your imagination but yeah tell us a bit more about why you chose this film Partially because I was having trouble thinking of things, but then like I got to a rival in my mind and I, I came up with a bunch of other ones afterwards. But initially I was I was going to pick uh, Swiss Army Man, but I was disappointed and excited because you guys had already done that one. So it means I got to listen to it. <laughs> but then I was just trying to I was trying to think of movies that I absolutely love that um, I wanted to talk about that don't have sequels because <laughs> um the other one I might have picked would have been Blade Runner 2049, but unfortunately that's a sequel already. So yeah, but I think just, it was just mostly, this is just an absolutely incredible film that I love so much and I really wanted to talk about um, and hadn't seen in a while. So I was appreciative that I had, I got to, an excuse to rewatch it. Hmm. No, I was very happy when I was told that you chose in this film because I, I, again, I really, really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. What did you think of it, Harry? Especially watching it back this time. Oh, well, the first time through, it absolutely blew me away. And I think I remember at the time being very disappointed that it wasn't nominated or winning more Oscars than it did. Yeah, it really got shot up. It did get a Best Picture, didn't it? A nomination. Nomination, yeah. it didn't win. But it got Best Picture and it got but it got like Best Sound Editor, which I think it won Best Sound Editor. Mm-hmm. But that was the only one it won, was Best Sound Design or something. Something like that, yeah. But yeah, it really it d- got underrated. It deserved to win a lot more. Absolutely, yeah. Loads of technicals, loads of acting. Yeah, but to be fair, um, it definitely deserves that sound editing as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is this your first time watching it back since we watched it in Amsterdam, or have you revisited it since? No, no, it's the second time I've watched it since. So third time I've watched it total. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, still holding up really good. Um, I am making a point of not watching it very often. Mm. Like I have watched it three times in two years, which already feels like a bit much. Sure, but uh, yeah, it's it's a good film to forget about and then re-experience. True. Yeah, definitely. Just because, like, if you watch it too many times, I feel like the like climax and everything is going to be lessened. Whereas if you mm. forget kind of some of the things in between, it's really enjoyable to rewatch. Just from like even my personal experience, because I haven't seen it in probably about a year or 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 more. So coming back and rewatching, I was I saw a lot of scenes that I had forgotten about. I was like, oh yeah, that's really good. <laughs> I do think it rewards rewatching though. It's definitely a film that adds more the second time you watch it in particular because of the way it's structured and it does have kind of it's not really like a twist twist but it's a Uh, kind of is it is and it isn't but i mean it's not it doesn't completely pull the rug out it's more like oh that now it all makes sense it's one Mm. of those it's more like it it builds because it essentially tells you what the twist is in the first five minutes but because you're not looking for it you don't realize Mm, yeah like that was what i really noticed watching it back this time was that it explains exactly what it's about in her opening monologue but only if you already know. Yeah, what was funny is actually um, my co-host Zach actually figured it out the first time watching. Oh, really? Yeah, he figured out what the twist was based on those clues, which, I mean, good for him, I guess, but (laughs) I I enjoyed the surprise. I used to think 
This was the beginning of your story. Memory is a strange thing. It doesn't work like I thought it did. We are so bound by time, by its order. so sure I believe in beginnings and endings. But it really puts a different perspective on all of the scenes that follow us because the whole film, you think she's remembering her daughter in the sense that you think that the main action of the film with Amy Adams is happening after she's already had a teenage daughter who's died. Yeah. And so there's occasional flashbacks throughout the film to her life with her daughter and you think, oh, she's just remembering it because Mm. it's an important moment in her life. And obviously Mm -hmm. because it's the first scene, you know it's going to be something relevant because, you know, the daughter's not a character because she's not around in the main action of the film. Yeah. But only when you watch it a second time, you realise that she's not having a memory. She's she's learning about it for the first time. Mm. And it makes it so interesting because the, it just completely changes the context of all of those scenes. So it's really definitely a film. I think you should watch it at least twice. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Mm. It does make me wonder, was she having those memories? And was it like... I forget what, how she plays it in the film. Is it like she's having those memories and she thinks that she had a daughter for a time? As she is understanding the alien language Mm -hmm. because the alien language allows people who speak it to experience time as a circle rather than as a straight line yeah so it's as she's getting more adept at learning the language she starts to see her own life so she starts to have memories of things that haven't happened to her yet if that makes sense yeah yeah but yeah but i guess before we go on any further uh, as the guest and the person who chose this film dante would you like to do a very quick plot summary if you can like a <laughs> one minute two minute plot summary of this film um, not an easy film to do it with but go ahead yeah so we meet dr banks who is an expert in languages uh and she is brought on to decipher an alien language because aliens have arrived i guess they didn't really land um <laughs> And the film follows her beginning to understand this language and realizing that the language changes your perception of time. I think that's it. It's pretty basic summary. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, I, that's, I guess that is it. It's a very succinct summary. But so yeah. at the end, it, it's revealed that she's written a book. Yes. Which is just all about her experiences. And essentially, that book then gives humanity the... Uh, well, spreads what she learned mm, uh, yeah. to, f- further than just herself. Does... That mean that if you buy that book, you gain the ability to see through time. I wonder because how how well would that book sell? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that was actually something um, I was considering when coming up with my sequel. Um, I was like, what would the effect have? And the way I interpreted it was that you could only truly like gain the full like seeing your entire life laid out if you like understood the language. So a lot of people try to learn languages and learn a few phrases and stuff. But but I feel like to truly get to that point with this language, you have to like completely understand it so that you could basically read it and speak it without thinking. Because sometimes, at least with me, I'm really bad with languages. So for me, I have to constantly translate everything back into English so I can understand it. But I feel like for someone to, to get to that point, you'd have to completely understand it. Like basically, like they said, rewire your brain so that you can function in that language instead of translating it does that make sense yeah absolutely and i think this film is really interesting from a linguistic point of view i've read a few interviews with professional linguists about this film and most most of them say that it definitely oversimplifies because it's a film because mm-hmm. understandably so but the, the essential theories that it's working from are more or less correct i think a lot of people say you, you can't actually rewire your brain but certainly people 
think differently in different languages because just the way sentences are constructed and the way different ideas are interpreted yeah. are very different in different languages. But there's a scene early in the film when, because the Amy Adams character, the lead character, Dr. Louise, that she is a professor of linguistics or something. So we see earlier, there's a scene earlier in where she starts teaching class and she starts talking about uh, Portuguese and why it's so different from all the other Romance languages. And I was watching that, so I was like, I want more of this. I was like, oh, this is getting really interesting. I, this, that is so a class I would have sat in on. And then I was obviously interrupted because aliens land and somebody have to turn on the TV. I was like, oh, tell me more about Portuguese. I'm interested. <laughs> Give me a Dr. Banks lecture. Yeah, absolutely. I would watch that TED talk. It seemed really interesting. <laughs> yeah, I would too. Oh, that'd be good. Okay, well, let's get started. Today we are talking about Portuguese and why it sounds so different from the other Romance languages. Uh, the story of Portuguese begins in the Kingdom of Galicia. Uh, sorry. In the Middle Ages, where language was seen as an expression of art. Any news you want to share? Dr. Banks, can you turn the TV to a news channel? Something that was really interesting was that they take so long to reveal even just the ship. Like, if you watch the film, the first probably about 15, 20 minutes or so, you hear about the aliens arriving and you get a bunch of, like, news. Like, you see, you know, TVs and stuff, but you don't actually see the ship. Um, and the closest you get, I think, is some footage from uh, a Middle Eastern country where you kind of get, like, a light goes up against the side of it a little bit. Oh, uh, in the, the nighttime, yeah. Yeah. But then, like, it, it waits long enough to build this anticipation to see this monolith, right? Mm. And eventually you get there and then it, the music just swells and you're like, wow. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know. That, like, I guess we'll kind of get to it, but that specific shot really just blows me away every time. Oh, it's everything. It's, it's the music, the design of the ship, like the scenery around them as well. It's an incredibly scenic part of the world. I love Denis Villeneuve, the director. I followed him. Obviously, that's a big reason I love 2049. But uh, the cinematography in that shot is amazing because it starts, they're in a helicopter and they're flying into the site, right? In Montana. And they start the shot looking at this line that the military has created to keep tourists away. Mm -hmm. And they have a bunch of cars just lined up behind it. And you like, first of all, that's realistic. Like a lot of this film does very realistic things with how people would react to aliens. Mm -hmm. And that's one of them is that there's people literally lined up. And then probably about two to three miles in, you eventually get to the base camp. And then you, the, the camera just pans up as the helicopter's flying in and you see the ship. And it's just such a weird amazing design and the music just swells and just oh i love it so much it's perfect filmmaking i, I agree and i think the, the the effects in general in this film are so good because it's not clearly not a 100 million dollar like you know blockbuster film mm -hmm. they've yeah. taken a very limited budget and used it so well because a lot of it is in what you don't see yeah, that's true. Like, again, they take so long to show even the aliens as well. Mm. You mentioned how it's shot in Montana. Did you know that the reason they chose Montana is because that was also the setting for First Contact, Star Trek? That's where it? First Contact oh, really? was made in Montana. Yeah, yeah cool. And that, got me Interesting. Yeah. and that got me thinking, this is a very Star Trek-y kind of film. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? Yeah. Because it's like intelligent sci-fi. Yes. It has a lot of optimism about the human race being able to possibly misplaced optimism about the human race's ability to you know all come together and actually when the when push comes to shore of you know do the right thing mm -hmm. like this really felt like it could be the plot of a star trek movie or tv episode to me oh absolutely yeah, yeah. it was like 
if the next generation had known what to do with Diana Troy, <laughs> then Diana Troy would have been Amy Adams. Like, you know? <laughs> I feel like that's very. True. You know, it was all about like communication. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, the Star Trek episode would be sort of the other way around, where the ship comes and lands on an alien planet, and they're just sort of letting that uh, that new race try and communicate with them in mm. their own weird way, which. Knowing that Star would be Trek, very probably, interesting. It would, wouldn't it? But knowing Star Trek, it would be extremely low budget. People wearing puppets as costumes. Sure. <laughs> no tentacle monsters. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. that was almost my sequel idea. I went in another direction in the end, but my initial idea was to have it be Abbott and Costello would be John Luke Picard and Diana Troy, just nice. enveloped in shadows. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, that's where that idea began and ended. So it would have been a very short pitch, but yeah. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Oh, I'd love a, a short film on that, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what they're saying right here is that this is one of 12. We are part of a larger whole. Or we're one of 12 contestants for the prize. Why do I have to talk to him? We're all working together here. We need to talk to the other sites. We need to help them with what they've gotten from the other heptapods. In case you don't remember, we're blacked out. China just threatened to destroy their shell. We're on our own. Yeah, but this says that all of the pieces fit together. And I'm telling you that no one else cares. Many become one could just be their way of saying some assembly required. Why? Hand it out to us in pieces. Why not just give it all over? What better way to force us to work together for once? Can we talk about her house? Sure. What have you got to say about her house? Well, I mean, it's a supporting character in this film. (laughs) And I I loved it. it. It really is. I loved it. Like... There's no way. I was like, how is a, even a very successful linguist, how, how is a linguist affording this affording fabulous <laughs> lakeside, beautiful, like glass yeah. walls? But I didn't care because every scene of her just walking around with these beautiful lakeside views, just drinking wine. And I was like, oh, God, I want that, I want that house. Mm-hmm. I want to live in that yeah. house. Mm-hmm. That, That's, was, that was my first thought, too, was like, how in the world does she afford this? Like, she's yeah. obviously at a very high class university but mm. still like <laughs> what's the commute because she seems to live in the middle of nowhere like, yeah that's true <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, no it was such property porn and i was loving it mm-hmm. <laughs> i remember that from the first time i saw it that was that was a big takeaway for me like okay that film was amazing but her house seriously though her house like <laughs> where is it how do i move in cool cool okay well another tangent closed i would say sure yeah uh what's next have you got any tangents you want to say no okay don't offer somebody a tangent that's not how tangents work no i mean mean, (laughs) any any thoughts would you like a tangent i've got many to choose from (laughs) (laughs) oh um i did want to mention one more thing was what were your thoughts on the uh the alien design because we kind of talked about the ship and that we liked it but uh Mm. i was curious about the alien design they were a good standard alien Um, (laughs) that's pretty much it really they didn't try and go for anything too special they were they were recognizable i feel like with like star trek aliens which are a good example there's two kinds there's either there's one that's just like super cheap clearly somebody in a suit yeah um or a puppet yeah or there's something that's just like the alien is the gas around you or something so they don't have to film anything it's just (laughs) sort of an imaginary thing pom-poms or whatever (laughs) yeah yeah um, so uh, I'm glad they just did something. They didn't try too hard, and they also didn't try not enough. They got it just yeah. a little. I really liked it, but the one disappointing thing was in the reveal, the head looks kind of human, and I didn't like that. Like it looks like a head and shoulders, and I was kind of disappointed by that. But maybe that's just me. <laughs> no, but on the whole, I appreciated the kind of less is more approach when it was just show. For the most part, they were just shown in shadow, and I think if the, if the film had like a hundred million dollar budget, it would have 
tried to go for something a lot more ambitious and probably would have looked a bit fakey-fakey, a bit uncanny yeah. valley-ish. But mm. I think they figured out a good way to make an excuse for not showing the aliens in that they were mostly behind this kind of glass wall because of the atmospheric differences. And just, I think everything about the way their language was was really interesting to me. Yeah. Something that was really interesting to me just randomly was like the fact that their written language doesn't connect to sounds mm. like that just kind of blew me away a little bit first time i saw it, i was like oh i guess all human languages do that that was really interesting to me yeah because again when you look at like star trek kind of stuff uh, as much as i like star trek a lot of the, the aliens are just basically humans in silly prosthetics mm. and have the same i know they have the whole thing we're all to universal translator so they're all speaking <laughs> their own language but it just sounds all like english and Ameri- in american accents yeah. to us but i like the thought that this film went into about how okay maybe aliens would have completely different methods of communication for us mm. and it really felt like they'd really thought about that and mm-hmm. thought like, and this idea that oral and written communication would completely be unconnected which is completely yeah. well alien if you excuse the point it's completely alien yeah. to how we ever associate communication yeah and what's interesting is that like they never actually learn their their spoken language no they just learn the the written one and they can translate that into english um and that's what holds the power which is really interesting so their their uh spoken language is just crap i guess it doesn't show time <laughs> mm. Well, I guess that they're a race that don't actually need any kind of tool to convey a written language. Mm-hmm. Like they can just expel yeah, this whatever chemical it is from their body. Sure. Um, they don't need a pen and paper to hand all the time. So I guess it works like that. I mean, it could have been some kind of advanced Apple product. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like if you could like write on air, I guess. Mm, well, that's sign language, really, isn't it? Yeah. At that point. Yeah, that's true. true. That's yeah. true, yeah. The first breakthrough was to discover that there's no correlation between what a heptapod says what a heptapod writes. Unlike all written human languages, their writing is semisiographic. It conveys meaning. It doesn't represent sound. Perhaps they view our form of writing as a wasted opportunity, passing up a second communications channel. We have our friends in Pakistan to thank for their study of how heptapods write. Because unlike speech, a logogram is free of time. Like their ship or their bodies, their written language has no forward or backward direction. Linguists call this nonlinear orthography, which raises the question, is this how they think? So I guess we've covered a lot of the scientific plotline on this. What did you guys think of the kind of other plot about her and her daughter, obviously, and the whole time... Is a, is a circle thing about <laughs> yeah. the decision that particularly about the decision that she made you know, she, basic, so basically the first scene of the film is maybe the saddest five minutes of any film I've ever watched this side of Up yeah I was going to say it's there, it's it's there with so up, isn't it? yeah. upsetting yeah I was going to say it felt very up yeah I referenced another film <laughs> yeah great there you go you're up to four um, <laughs> well, slow down Roger Ebert um, <laughs> Yeah, so the first five minutes of the film, we see Amy Adams raising a, a, a daughter, and then the daughter gets some kind of terrible disease, and presumably some cancer or leukemia or something, and dies. And then throughout the rest of the film, Amy Adams is having what we think are flashbacks to that. But then at the end of the film, it's revealed that because of the circular nature of time that the movie posits the aliens can communicate in, that's actually something that's going to happen in the future. Mm. And so what actually happens is that she, after she's had this whole experience with the aliens, will have a child with Jeremy Renner, knowing that the child will die young, will get yeah. this terminal disease. But she makes the decision to have the child anyway because 
she decides that the experience of having that child and loving that child, having already on some level already felt those feelings, feels like it's worth it. Yeah, that's kind of what I interpreted it as was like she saw almost the entirety of her life and saw the beauty in it. And because of that, decided to, to keep her child. Also, there is the question of what you can change, which it's an interesting question based on the logic that they present in this film. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It was This is one of those films that if you think about it hard enough, you can just totally go off into a complete spiral of like... Mm, yeah. <laughs> which I somewhat did. I was like, so, so because she knew about it, did she actually have a choice? Or did she just think she had a choice, but actually it was inevitable, it was always going to happen? Personally, I would interpret it as it was inevitable. Like she was mm. always going to come to that conclusion that it was worth it. The other thing is that the reason that Jeremy Renner's character and her eventually separate, she discovers, is that she doesn't tell him at the time when they get together at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the timeline's very confusing, but yeah, she only tells him like after they've had the kid. Yeah, so they get together at the end of the alien mm. mission, mm-hmm. and then presumably they get married. They have this kid, and only many years later she tells him, "Actually, I always knew we'd have a daughter." Oh, and by the way, our daughter's going to die in ten years. <laughs> yeah, which yeah. is. Quite the bombshell. <laughs> yeah, it's very justified that he did what he did. Yeah, because she says to her daughter, she's like, well, he left me because he said I made the wrong choice. Which is a really valid perspective. I mean, I guess it ties into a lot of stuff about like stuff like abortion. If you were to know that you could have a child that was going to be profoundly disabled or something, you know, not to get too controversial or anything on political. But yeah, it, was in, it posited this really interesting moral quandary. Like, was it fair of her to have this daughter knowing this daughter was only going to have a very short life? Mm. Would she have been denying that daughter her right to exist if she'd chosen to actually change the future? Or was she unfair to Jeremy Renner to not allow him to have a, an opinion on that? Like, it really opened up a huge can of worms and I did not know how I felt about it by the end. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the question of we as a species operate based on the fact that for us time is linear Mm. so for jeremy renner that's how he's thinking about it but like it changes everything when you know what's going to happen because potentially there are many many children that would die before their parents so it's kind of just it's a question of like well is that (laughs) is it worth it essentially yeah well that's it i mean Harry, you mentioned earlier that obviously she writes the book, and so mm. is everyone reading that book, and so everyone can mm-hmm. see their own lives. Does that mean that every parent who is going to have a child who predeceases them, for whatever reason, be it illness or accident or whatever, yeah. is then going to know, oh, I'm going to have a baby at this point, but that baby's going to die at this point. Mm-hmm. Should I still have that baby? Yeah. And are they going to have the opportunity to make that decision? Because that's crazy. Well, surely not, because... Uh, I love we're just getting into a time travel conversation. Um, <laughs> yes. Because if if everybody's going to start having these decisions about, okay, well, I've seen the future of that, so I'm not going to do that. Mm. Well, that's going to affect other people's futures. Absolutely, yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. Yeah, and their own. Because, like, at that point, if they choose to change that, then what they saw never happened, and then you create a paradox. And I feel like Mm. that's that's why I personally think that, like, you can't. You're always going to come to the same decision. Yeah. Mm. I think that's where I landed on it. I feel like the choice is an illusion. There is no choice. People in in this, I mean, I don't mean this in the real world, but in the in the world of this film, if time is a circle, and then choice, once you see in your future, you're destined to live it. Whether you see it or not, that's how it's going to pan out. And mm-hmm. yeah. you might think you've come to a choice, but the choice was already set before you. Otherwise, you wouldn't have seen it. So, Hannah, this is where your story begins. The day they departed. 
despite knowing the journey and where it leads. I embrace it. And I welcome every moment of it. <gasps> Anything else before we move on to drinking games? It's a good movie. <laughs> it's a it's a great movie. Right, yeah. if, if you take anything away from this listener, it is watch this movie. It's currently on Netflix in the UK. I don't know if it is globally, but if you've it's not a, seen it, it's on Prime in the US. So great! It's one of the, my favorite films of the past few years, and I would recommend anyone to watch it. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Yeah, cool. Uh, should we go to drinking games then? Sure, go for it. Uh, so my first one is drink every time the Amy Adams character drinks. <laughs> <laughs> she's definitely a bit of a a bit of a low key lush. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> in the first part of the film, in particular, she's got a huge glass of wine. Mm. Again, it's the house and the wine, which I was just I was like life goals, life goals. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's a lot of her just drinking glasses of wine, which I appreciated. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Drink whenever Amy Adams explains anything. Oh yeah, I had that too. Yeah, I, I had that one too. I specified grammar, but yeah. That's pretty much all the explaining she ever does. Yeah, mm. well, I, I, mine was specified as every time the movie stops, so that Amy Adams can explain to anyone yeah. who's lost a bit what's <laughs> yeah. going on. Yeah, and I, I really liked the. I think the best one of those is the kangaroo speech. Oh yeah, big time. Yes. because yeah. it's yeah, re- absolutely. Yeah, because you listen to that and you're like, oh, that, that makes total sense. That's really interesting. And then she's like, it's not true. Yeah, but it illustrates <laughs> I love, my point. I, I, I love that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's yeah. and that was like a very method comment on the film. It's like it's not true, but people needed to hear it right now. Mm. <laughs> To follow the plot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did notice with with that speech, it felt very uh, Star Trek in the way that it started because, mm. like, somebody wasn't listening to her and then she just blurts out one word, kangaroo. And he's like, uh, so, excuse me, sorry, what? Yeah. <laughs> and and that, in Star Trek, they seem to do that quite a lot as well, where, like, Seven of Nine will just say, Delta Quadrant, wh- sorry, what, what, what are you talking about? And then mm. she just goes off and explains something as though they should have already known just by yeah. the yeah. first word. Mm. That's so, what, this is a very Star Trek movie. I really came yeah. That was a big takeaway from it. This is a very Star Trek movie. Mm. Everything you're doing here, I have to explain to a room full of men whose first and last question is how can this be used against us? So you're going to have to give me more than that. Kangaroo. What is that? In 1770, Captain James Cook's ship ran aground off the coast of Australia and he led a party into the country and they met the Aboriginal people. One of the sailors pointed at the animals that hop around and put their babies in their pouch and he asked what they were and the Aborigines said, kangaroo. And the point is? It wasn't until later that they learned that kangaroo means I don't understand. So I need this so that we don't misinterpret things in there. Otherwise, this is going to take 10 times as long. I can show that for now. It's a good story. Thanks. It's not true. But it proves my point. Drink every time you get flashes. Anytime you get like weird flashes that are kind of unexplained. <laughs> like flashes in time, like flashbacks, flash forwards kind yeah. of things. Yeah. Especially okay, towards yeah. the middle, where like she starts really learning the language, and she gets a bunch of them. Like the one time where she's in her room and she sees the monster like right there, like mm-hmm. just just weird flashes like that. Yeah, that's a good one. So my next one is drink every time Forrest Whitaker speaks, and you need subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> Was this just me? Um, might have been actually. I, 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 I did you know? Yeah. <laughs> okay, maybe it's just me. I, I I like Forrest Whitaker. I think he's a good actor. I do find him frequently difficult to understand. I don't mm-hmm. know what it is. In this movie, it felt like he was just 
really like mumbling a lot. Yeah. He would just bark out words very quickly and very mumbly. And I'd be like, well, what did you just say? I have to, I'd literally have to rewind and put the subtitles on to understand what a word he was saying. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just me. I, I, do, I don't find Forrest Whitaker easy to understand. Maybe it is just you. Seems like it is. Yeah. That's my issue. Sorry, Forrest. <laughs> I don't agree to do that. That's just my issue. Fine. <laughs> oh, well done. Maybe you right. should uh, work on your ears. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I've already said my... I've, I've only got the two. I've only said the other one, which is drink whenever Jeremy Renner actually oh. has something to do. Yeah. Which is very yeah, yeah. rare. Mm. I was going to say the opposite of that and say drink every time Jerry Renner doesn't have something to do. Like he's okay. just in a scene for no reason. <laughs> this is every scene. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah, every scene except the last one. So <laughs> I feel like my drinking games are more about drinking a lot. So. Yeah, no, that's good. We appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my last one is just drink for international news broadcasts when you'll see like, oh, like yeah. dramatic yes, news. There's like, a lot of those. Yeah. <laughs> Or possibly drink every time. Very good time. use of them, though. Yeah, absolutely. It was well used. Yeah, definitely. Or possibly drink every time you think, "Oh shit! If this happened in our actual reality, we'd all go to hell." Like, imagine if aliens landed today. <laughs> I don't think it would work out that well. Would, would yeah. you, do you think that we'd uh, we'd still go through with Brexit? <laughs> it would. It'd be Theresa May would be like, "Alien invasion means alien invasion. <laughs> <laughs> apocalypse means apocalypse." Oh. <laughs> We voted for it, so yeah. Yeah. it would just be God only knows. Yeah, I'm just thinking like how uh, Donald Trump. I don't think he would be like send a linguist. He'd be like send a nuke. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Are we all done with drinking games? Yeah, I think so. So before we get some sequels, if any of you listeners have enjoyed what you've heard so far on this episode or any others that you've listened to, then uh, please show your appreciation by going to Patreon.com/slash/BeyondTheBoxSet, where you can donate um, as much or as little as you'd like. It can be a very, very small amount, as low as $2 a month, which is pretty much nothing. And uh, we'd be, well, it's everything to us. So that'd, that'd, that'd be Literally nice. Literally everything. Mm-hmm. We're, we're hanging on by a fingernail here, people. Come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, $2 is, is, is all we need from just one person. So that should be you, the person listening. You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just get your phone out and do it. <sighs> I don't know where I'm going with that. Uh, <laughs> Um, if you do become a patron, then we've got a few uh, little rewards for you and for no matter how much you uh, pledge to us. Um, you can get access to our bonus show called Beyond Beyond the Box Set, where we review films that are in the cinema right now. We've got to do one for Fantastic Beast Crimes of Grindelwald. Oh, that'll be fun. There's a lot to unpack there. Jesus. Um. <laughs> we've also got to record an episode, uh, maybe also tonight, for Widows. For Widows, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, one of those films is better than the other one. Um, and, uh, well... You'll have to find out by going to patreon.com slash beyond the box set. Indeed, yeah. Um, also, <laughs> if you do that, then you can have a 30-second advert put on this very show uh, once a month mm-hmm. per person. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm, very, you've, you've, I'm very proud that I've got this now. Don't expect a standing ovation every time <laughs> you get this basic fact right now. Just because you've lowered the bar so much. Yeah. Um, and there's something else that I've forgotten as well. Oh yeah, uh, once a month you can pick a film for us. Is it once a month or does it? Or is it just whenever? Oh, okay. this um, this is the thing now. This is the thing. This is the, <laughs> this is your new thing now. Yeah, if if anyone would like to pick a film, we'll, we'll pick one patron a month to pick a film for us to discuss. Mm-hmm. Yes. Ah, that's it. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and if if you if you pick a film that doesn't have a sequel, prequel, or spin-off, we'll do it on the main show, and you're welcome to guest on it. Um, if you do want us to talk about a film that does have a sequel, prequel, or spin-off, then we'll do that on a bonus show. And that'll be just for you patrons. So all that is available at patreon.com slash beyondtheboxset. Yes. 
Now, on some sequels. Do you want to go first? Yeah, because I feel like mine's not very good, so I'm going to... <laughs> Enter with confidence. You, you always seem to do this. Well, I'll fight you on that one, so... Because <laughs> I also think mine's not that great. <laughs> okay, well, I, I think the answer really here is uh, this film doesn't really... Le- it doesn't... It lends itself to it, but it shouldn't get a sequel. No, 100%. Yeah, um, yeah. And, it, and this one's quite a strong one. Of, of the films you do, this one quite strongly shouldn't get a sequel. I would agree but, with that. It, it, is t- it is tough. I think it's got a very clear mm. beginning and end. Yeah. yeah, and it's very tied up. There's not many loose ends to pull at to pull out another sequel. So yeah, I chose a very difficult film. <laughs> you did. You, you really did. Um, <laughs> so one thing that I noticed about this film was obviously the the alien ships land. Well, they don't land, but they appear all over the planet. Mm-hmm. There's twelve of them or whatever, and there is one that uh, appears here in Britain. Oh, okay. Um, it actually appears down in Devon. Oh, I didn't um, notice it was in Devon. Yeah, then. it literally says it on the screen at one point. Oh, okay. So mine's called Arrival. In Devon? Question mark. <laughs> okay. Interesting. <laughs> uh, so one day, Richard Ayoade, oh from uh, the IT from crowd. From the IT crowd, sure, yeah. Um, he's working in a science lab in Exeter. Why have you chosen him? Just felt like it. Is he famously want... from Devon? N- I, no, I do not know. I just wanted to go British comedian. Okay. <laughs> and he he was the first one that came to mind. Well, he w- I, I had to do a Google search and he was not the first one there, but uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I, I have essentially cast the entire cast of the IT crowd in oh, this. Oh, I see. Okay. Oh, so, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, which was not my initial idea at all. But that kind of works because it's all about computers on, exactly. on, on a more basic level. Okay. I know. Okay, go on. So, yeah, one day, I'm just going to call them by their character names, Moss is working in his science lab. In Moss is Richard Iowa. Yes. Yeah. Um, as a theoretical physicist. And all of a sudden, his phone lights up and he's told to look out the window. Mm-hmm. He does and sees in the distance above Dartmoor National Park, there is one of the alien ships. And he says yeah. that loud. Why is there a giant Pringle above Dartmoor? <laughs> sure, yeah. Which he just says to himself. Yeah. At that moment, soldiers run into the lab, led by uh, Catherine Parkinson, who plays Jen. Yeah, the, the redhead. Mm-hmm. So they run into his lab and say that they need him because mm-hmm. the aliens have landed. They need scientists on hand. Sure. So they've uh, they've gone to the closest scientist that they can find. And that's... Is that is he actually his character from the IT crowd, or is this more like a Simon Pegg Nick Frost joint where it's the same cast? But that sort of thing, different. yeah. Okay, I like that more because he could play, he could be, he could play a theoretical physicist, like a yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, like yeah. He's, he's nerdy. Yeah, yeah. No, okay, I like this. And he he always leans into nerdy. And she's just like a head of government type, like a, yeah. a an autocrat. Okay, yeah. I like this. Continue. So it's still kind of respecting their roles from the IT crowd, where like she's the boss, mm-hmm. but he's the brains. The brains, yeah. yeah. Sure. So yeah, she's gathering the experts, and uh, I should just stop for a second. Dante, have you ever seen the IT crowd? No, I. Haven't. I was going to say this could oh, be making this a very British difficult. reference. Yeah. Okay, well, it's a little bit like The Big Bang Theory in that it's a show about nerds. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I've heard about it, and I've, I'm picking up a lot of clues, so I am following. But mm. <laughs> there, there's not much of it. There's only like there's only like three short seasons. But yeah. uh, it is okay. British comedy gold. Mm. And if you don't like British comedy, you won't like this. Sure. But no, I, mean, I actually do, and uh, my wife really does, so I'll have to check this out. Sure. Yeah. It is a good show. And the only other major character who I'm sure you're about to introduce is Chris O'Dowd, who is probably the one who's had the most success in America since this show. He was in Bridesmaids. He was Kristen Wiig's love interest. Okay. Yeah, he's done mm. other stuff as well. So yeah. anyway, continue, Harry. Sorry. So uh, Moss gets in a helicopter and starts flying towards Dartmoor. Um, in the chopper with him, he's introduced to a philosopher. Is this Chris O'Dowd? Uh, no, this one. This one is actually uh, Matt Berry's character, oh, Douglas. Oh, of course. Okay, yeah. Um, I just like the idea of uh, Matt Berry being a philosopher. I think he would make a good philosopher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then eventually they land on site that the military have set up, and Jen shows them round to the site. Uh, once they've talked over the situation over a nice cup of tea, uh, Moss and Douglas prepare themselves for venturing into the ship. 
Jen says the army has already sent a linguist into the ship. Oh, so Chris O'Dowd is a linguist. Yeah. Um, who, so who, you're who, just who's adding the, a who's philosopher. communication. Okay. Yeah. I like that this has just turned into John trying to figure out where Chris O'Dowd is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to find an entry point. Okay. So, <laughs> again, it was just the first linguist they could get their hands on. Okay. Well, I, I love the idea of, like, a professional linguist with a very thick Northern Irish accent. Yeah. Or, or wherever Chris O'Dowd is from. <laughs> like, you'd think a linguist would be very cleanly spoken. Mm-hmm. And Chris O'Dowd is um, I mean, initially, I with a completely different cast other than Richard Iowadi and I was just picking random comedians. Okay. So Jen was going to be... Um, was it Jen? Oh, oh, no, sorry. Matt Berry's character was going to be Jennifer Saunders. Oh, that'd be fun too, yeah. Um, and Chris O'Dowd's character was going to be Sarah Millican. Nice, okay, yeah. Anyway. That probably would have been a bit too provincial. Yes, that's what I was thinking. I'll just keep it to one keep show. It, yeah, I think IT Crowd has some American followers. Yeah. So hopefully some of our listeners will get this. Huh? So they go into the ship through the scissor lift and the whole dodgy gravity situation, which... So it's the same setup as Arrival, then. So. Oh, yeah, pretty much. Okay. Which Moss is really excited about, the whole mm. weird sideways gravity thing, but uh, Douglas just doesn't understand it at all. Right? I, I would like to see a high-budget sci-fi film with this cast. Yeah, it would be good, wouldn't it? It would be fun, <laughs> yeah. They get into the main room of the ship and see the linguist is Chris O'Dowd. Okay. Yeah, so Chris O'Dowd's language skills are essentially him doing that standard British thing that all us Brits do when abroad, where we just repeat the same thing again louder and slower. Are you referring to What is your purpose here? <laughs> so he's basically my dad. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> um, Moss says, well, maybe you should try something simpler, like perhaps your name. And he, he says, okay... My name is Roy. Je m'appelle Roy. <laughs> Mi amo es Roy. And, and, it and goes so the, on, yeah. yeah. And uh, then Moss says, yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's going to work. And Roy's like, well, have you got any bright ideas? And then Moss is like, no, but I know where we can get some inspiration. Hard cut to the next day. And uh, the three of them, so that's Matt Berry as well. Mm-hmm. They're all just sitting there in that room. They've managed to get a sofa in there, a telly, uh, and they're just watching Doctor Who episodes. Okay, sure. So the uh, aliens are just on the other side of the glass, just not communicating. Oh, well, they're in, they're in the background. They're, they're watching it with them. Oh, everyone, everyone's just and, united, and, and, unified and, by enjoying a bit of Doctor Who. Yeah, and you see them like visually enjoying it. Maybe they're dancing a little bit to the theme song or something. Or... Sure. Yeah. So. I, I mean, it's it's the great unifier. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then cut to a few weeks later, they are all in there still watching Doctor Who. Mm. Maybe it's gone from season one all the way up to season eight or something by now. Well, can we have a montage with Matt Berry doing the Jeremy Renner where he just does like a... So this is the progress we've made. Yes, okay. <laughs> we've yeah. eight seasons and four different Doctors and... Uh, yeah, that works. The Eccleston years weren't that popular, but when we got to the Tennant years, suddenly <laughs> they really seem to like that. The aliens responded most to David Tennant. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> now, whenever they go down and report back to Jen, um, they also have to make stuff up. Just oh to, sure, yeah. Just to let them know they're not just binge watching Doctor Who mm-hmm. um, on on essentially government time on an alien spaceship, which is what they're actually doing. Of course, yeah. And so uh, yeah, the conversation with her and Matt Berry. Oh yeah, we're getting really close now. Like they learnt the word for bow tie today. We're almost ready to ask them your question and understand the answer. But uh, of course, they never do actually manage it. And um, at one point, the ship leaves. Essentially, the same time in. Obviously, the main, the first film. The ship oh, the alien the ship. Yeah, it just goes and disappears into the atmosphere okay. or whatever. Does that happen because someone's bombed it, or do they just get bored of they run out of Doctor Who to watch? Well, no. Cause so, by the way, this is a cycle. So there was one ship that landed in Devon, and there was the one ship that landed oh, in Montana. Oh, I see. As so well. it happens because the American ship has been exploded, but this British ship, nothing has happened to them. Yeah. Okay. So the, sure. the same events are happening, and eventually all the alien ships leave. Okay. And uh, when Jen asks Moss about it, he says, Oh, yeah, we, we, we're pretty much there. Like, we were going to ask the question tomorrow. And, uh, well, like, 
what the Americans got, that's the answer we were expecting anyway. So like, we pretty much had it. So it's, it's, it's a job well done, I'd say. So they're just winging it, essentially. Yeah, pretty okay, much. And sure. well, that's all I've got. That's the end. Okay, no, I like it. That's good. I would like to see a sitcom version of this film. I mm. think the IT crowd is a good shout for a cast. Just a little 20 minute. Mm. I was going to say, one of my ideas initially was like, I would really appreciate a sitcom featuring the Heptapons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, just imagine Alf, but with the Heptapons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that, that, that was uh, Arrival in Devon. I like the phrasing of the subtitle there. Arrival in Devon? <laughs> you didn't really mean a voice. So. <laughs> I was trying to emphasize it was a question. Sure, sure, sure. But, I mean, uh, Devon didn't play into that in the slightest, but no, it didn't. as a location, other than, you know, it's in England. Yeah. Fine. Yeah, but to be fair, Montana didn't play any part either. Just no, in Montana. True, so. apart from just being like a nod to first contact. But yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Dante, over to you. All right, so <laughs> we'll see how good it is. So my sequel is, it is a sequel. It's mm-hmm. called, well, sort of. It's called Departure. Ah, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I, I was, was, <laughs> I, I was going to do the same thing. And uh, then I was struggling for inspiration, just read all the uh, listener submissions we've got. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to do Departure then. <laughs> all right, don't psych him out before he starts it, Harry. Give him a chance, God. <laughs> I'm already failing. I have the worst one yet. I no, but can't uh, be worse there's than a specific mine. reason why I chose that, uh, and you will see as uh, the story goes on. Mm-hmm. So we start, and we we meet Ian. All right, and this uh, he is going to be the film's main character. Ian's the Jeremy Renner character, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. Sure. Yeah. I am sorry. I'm going to use character names. Um, I'll mm-hmm. try to also add in the actors. <laughs> but yeah, so we meet Ian, and uh, he's drunk at a bar, and we start hearing an inner monologue that's kind of depressed. And he, I guess, he kind of, he's kind of like, you know, I guess I should probably tell you where this all started. And we kind of get him monologuing over a quick version of Arrival, mm-hmm. um, and he goes through all of the events. So it's a montage. Yeah, a quick montage of Arrival, and uh, it's <sighs> a little bit. <laughs> it's a little bit arrival from Ian's perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's complimenting Louise and stuff like that. And then he says, so now we get to the uh, the meat of the story. And we stop this montage at them married in that scene where they're dancing and they decide to make a child. And so we get a few slower scenes showing them married and life together. And then we kind of get like sort of the beginning of actual arrival where it's kind of a slower montage of uh, actual life mm-hmm. um, there are a lot of montages in this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I rely on montages way too much <laughs> but yeah so we kind of see their life together and eventually one day Louise pulls Ian aside and she decides to tell him that the language allows her to see the expanse of her life in its entirety and he's kind of blown away by this and he's like why didn't you tell me this sooner I could have been learning this language. <laughs> mm-hmm. But anyway, she tells him that Hannah, their daughter, yep. is going to die from an uncurable disease in, let's say, 10 years, five years. I don't mm-hmm. know, somewhere in there. Yeah. Because um, she is older. Ian completely freaks out and, you know, rants on her for how, how could she keep this from him? Uh, this is their daughter. Why did she agree to have the child in the first place? And he leaves. He barges out and. They obviously get the divorce, and he goes to a bar and gets drunk. Mm-hmm. And then another montage, man, a lot of montages, um, <laughs> of the next couple years, whenever he's spending time with her, he decides to take some of her DNA. And he decides to devote basically his life to finding a cure for this disease that he doesn't even know what it is yet. Right. Okay. 
so you see a montage of him spending some time with her but slowly he's just not she if he feels more distant and eventually he's just not even taking his weekends with her uh and you see him working in his lab just pouring over his work mm-hmm. eventually uh he's working he's working and he's actually like uh a lot of it is him stumped but this time uh he figured out what the disease is and, and he's getting he's on a lead essentially and he gets a call from the doctor's office saying that hannah has passed away and he's he's completely devastated and he maybe he does like a swipe of the table to throw everything on the ground because he's so mad classic yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) and then we meet ian back at the bar we basically caught up to him but then as he's sitting there he gets an idea he remembers (laughs) that there is this magical language that can show you all of time Mm -hmm. and he decides that if he has the information now to make the cure and he learns the language he can go back and focus in on a time before she died and make the cure with the information that he has from the future and give her the cure thus preventing her death right Right. okay yeah interesting yep so he goes to louise for the first time since really the divorce and demands that she teach him the language because he knows that he can't learn it on his own she tries to convince him that this isn't gonna work because you know it's already kind of planned out how could this work out this way but she agrees to teach him and Slowly, we get another montage. Jeez, this whole movie is montages. I apologize. What are you going to set these montages to? Have you got a particular song in mind? Or? <laughs> um, I was thinking Time of My Life. Good choice, yeah. <laughs> By Green Day or the song from um, Desi Dancing? Which one? Both. Both there's yeah. enough montages. Sure, yeah. Yeah, different different ones. For all you you, you can time. do Turn Back Time <laughs> um, as well. Actually, yeah. If I could Turn Back Time by Cher, it would be thematically mm. perfect. <laughs> yes. <yeah>. See <laughs> <So> this? <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so these are all set to various time-related songs. But slowly, Ian starts learning the language. And he starts to see flashes of the future. But all he sees is a loop of rope hanging from the ceiling oh. and himself standing on a chair. Oh, no. But he ignores these, pushes them aside, and keeps going with learning the language. And eventually, he learns the language, and he sees his whole life. Mm-hmm. And he immediately focuses on the day before she dies. Uh, he rushes to make make the cure, races to the hospital, gives her the cure, and uh, she closes her eyes. And it's a dramatic, like, is she going to die? Is she going to live? Mm-hmm. Classic movie scene. And she slowly opens them and says, Daddy? And then immediately... That was a very energetic and, daddy. Yeah. Daddy? 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 <laughs> I'm not an actor. I'm a director. So. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, so she says that and immediately a bunch of flashes start happening to him and he starts like grabbing at his head and all of these flashes are bombarding his mind and he mm. sees flashes that he saw from the future changing mm-hmm. into ones with his daughter alive and he's back with louise and a happy family and so he just holds on to onto his daughter and won't let go and then it seemingly works we come back to a couple days later when we would have seen him at the bar and that changes to a scene where he's spending time with louise and hannah but then a few days pass and we kind of just see him realizing that it worked. And then he gets a call saying that Hannah died in a car crash. And uh, he immediately goes back to change that too, stopping her from going on that car ride. And uh, he saves her again. Same thing happens. The flashes change. And then a couple months later, Hannah dies in a fire that was accidentally started in the house. Um, this is bleak. Nope. I love it though. <laughs> He starts to suspect that something's not right, but he keeps doing it and he keeps preventing death after death after death. Mm -hmm. And we get a montage of deaths. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Don't know why that tickled me so much. <laughs> the montage of death. Uh, um, but yeah, and so he sees it's causing him and Louise both more pain because Louise is seeing all this too, but she's kind of taking a step back because he's at this point kind of a madman. And finally, we get to Hannah's 13th birthday mm-hmm. and maybe a little while afterwards, and she herself learns the language and she immediately goes to ian and asks him why she's seeing so many of her own deaths poor girl she says they all hurt and she starts crying and she's like why am i seeing so many of my own deaths and you you have this moment where he just falls on his knees and breaks down crying Mm -hmm. and uh says that he's just trying to save his baby girl and she looks at him with tears in her eyes from all this pain of multiple deaths and she's just puts her hand on his cheek and says you just need to let me go so ian shoulders droops and he he agrees and so he goes all the way back to the day that she he got the call in the hospital and just sits down and weeps in his lab as he know or uh, weeps by her bedside sorry he goes to her in the hospital as she flatlines and uh Louise looks at him and tells him they did the right thing. Mm-hmm. And this time we get one more look into the future, but instead of seeing the noose with the chair, he sees him and Louise living married life as they grow old together. Mm. And that's how the film closes. Oh, that is brilliant. That was Why why did you think that was going to be bad? That was amazing. <laughs> Harry's in tears well, here, a... like heart-wrenching. <laughs> that was yeah. Uh, well, I thought like it was pretty bad because the entire film is initially the entire film was just going to be a man doing science. I thought that yeah. was really boring. <laughs> well, that's where the montage has come in. Mm. I mean, it sounds like a very upsetting film. But <laughs> just... Oh, I'd, yeah. I'd watch that. I'd watch the hell out of that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I really played to Harry's sensibilities. Yeah, here. <laughs> but it. yeah, so hence why it's called Departure because oh, okay. it's the aftermath. Yeah, it's like Arrival meets Final Destination. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, the the departure idea that I had was completely different from that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to do something with the aliens, but I just couldn't figure out what to do with them because they're so ambiguous. Yeah. So I I felt a little bad that I followed up a movie with aliens with a movie without them. But yeah. Cool, like it. And uh, as luck would have it, my sequel is all about the aliens. Oh, great. See nicely. Unless you have any more questions about Dante's sequel. No. Cool. Okay. I mean, well, other than Dante, when are you making this? <laughs> <laughs> um, if Universal hits me up with the budget, uh, we can start next year. Get in touch with an evil nerve. That sounds yeah. well up his street. Yeah. Um, please convene John yeah. B. Executive Producers. Yes. We yes, need that money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Except uh, John is a, only half an executive producer because he doesn't love the idea like you do. Wee, <laughs> I liked it. Wee. So I'll be an executive producer. John, you'll just be producer. I think that's yeah, actually a that's higher it. title, you know. Is it? I think executive <laughs> is like, yeah. Is it? I think that's like a lesser, yeah, it's like vice president, like executive vice. Like, but no, yeah, you can have that, yeah, you can have the extra title. Wait, what is it? That doesn't make sense. And pro- <laughs> executive, that's like better. Like when you get the executive suite or something. It's I just don't like know. someone needs needs to have a, a Google now. <laughs> yeah. Sure, you can be the executive producer. Right, I'm, I'm, I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a Google this real quick. This is an important tangent. It's very important. Uh, this will definitely make the final cut. There's no way. Is executive <laughs> producer 
higher than producer. Google's already... Okay, the, you're not the first person to ask this question. Um, in general terms, the producer is the person who is involved in producing the film. He, apparently, um, is the only one who is as closely associated with the project as the director himself. The producer is also responsible for marketing the film well. An executive producer, on the other hand, may not be quite involved in the project. There we go, thank you. Very much. <laughs> so that, fine, there you go. All right, cool. So the executive producers are just the ones that chuck money at it, and then the producers are the ones that chuck money at it but actually work on it. <laughs> you, you know what? I'm fine with that. So basically, it's just a reflex. <laughs> yeah, it's just like our podcast. I do all the work. You take all the fucking credit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Okay. So my sequel. I've not got a title for it, but uh, it tells the same story, but from the perspective of the two aliens, Abbott and Costello. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm just preempting this. This is going to be hilarious. Well, d- don't get your hopes up too high. <laughs> well, I imagine he's going to be hilarious, or it's just going to be 90 minutes of them going. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so basically, the premise of this is that they are not, in fact, the wise space philosophers. Perfect. That, um, Perfect. That, that, that the humans <laughs> believe them to be. They are, in fact. This is the direction this film needs to go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, quick, quick question. Um, I don't actually know who Abbott and Costello are. Oh, they are an old comedy duo from American film. Okay, I thought so. I wasn't too sure. Oh. Are, they, are, they, are they American or are they English? I don't know. I thought they were... I mean, I know they have American accents, but uh, I thought they were like British television, but maybe I'm wrong. Basically, Abbott and Costello is like the reason that uh, who's on second became such a big thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, like they're like the origin of that. Yeah, I was just checking that they weren't like who's a pair first, of whatever. philosophers or artists or something. Oh, yeah, they're American. American duo. Yeah, they're like a, a comedy duo, yeah. yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Okay. So, they're not wise space philosophers, but they're actually the stars of an intergalactic prank show called Space Punked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, they're both obnoxious shock jock types uh, who spend each season on a different planet seeing how far they can push less advanced species. <laughs> I have a quick question. Sure. Um, are they voiced or is this whole film dubbed? No, they absolutely should be voiced. So I was thinking, who do you think should play these obnoxious kind of shock drops? Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> that was my imme- that was yeah. My immediate thought was one of them has to be Ryan Reynolds. Mm. Maybe the other one could be Ryan Reynolds doing a voice. Sure. <laughs> Can he do voices? I've never heard him do a voice that wasn't his own oh, voice. Yeah. Like. I was thinking someone like Jason Manzukas. Do have you know who he is? Oh, From, how, how did this get made? No. The one who's not the bald guy. The louder, the more, the louder, more shouty one. I can't picture his voice. No. Or just maybe. So, oh, what's that guy who was actually in Jackass? Uh, Johnny Knoxville. Ah, uh, Johnny Knoxville. So Johnny Knoxville and Ryan Reynolds, let's say, are the voices of Abbott Costello in yeah. this version. Yeah. So they're <laughs> yeah. the stars right. of a intergalactic space punked prank show, mm-hmm. in which they go to each season they spend on a different planet that they've discovered, seeing how far they can push less advanced species, and the show runs on a point system. So they get 10 points if they can cause looting and rioting. Uh, 25 points if they cause a full-blown war. Yeah. 50 points if they can convince the species to worship them as gods. And 100 points for total obliteration. Great. Yeah. Obliteration of the planet. Of the planet, yeah. 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 But they're not... The thing is, they're not firing any weapons. Mm. It's only if they can convince the species to destroy themselves. By doing nothing. By doing nothing, yes. It's just... (laughs) They're just full-on pranksters. Yeah. By opening their ship and just making nonsense noises and a few pretty patterns. Yes, exactly. Love it. Exactly, yeah. Love it. So, the whole thing is, it's not nearly as sophisticated as the humans interpret it as being. Mm -hmm. So those kind of whale sound noises that they keep making, that... All that. Mm. um, That's actually just them farting. (laughs) (laughs) 
And the smoke messages. a lot. Yeah. And the smoke messages. They're very flatulent. Yeah. It's, it's a shock. It's, it's a lowbrow shock jock jackass show. So, yeah. And <laughs> the smoke messages are just the blowback from their intergalactic bongs. Lovely. They're like blowing smoke rings and just. Okay, yeah. And they're just. To- and so the human characters are just totally overly interpreting that. So this show, as we, as we open this film, this show has been running for years and years and years. And to be honest, the format is starting to get a little bit stale. <laughs> so for the Earth episode, they're going to get a little bit more ambitious with a twist on the formula. Mm-hmm. So obviously in the film Arrival, there are 12 spaceships that land in 12 different yeah. locations. But actually, those spaceships aren't spaceships. They are satellites. Mm-hmm. And all the world leaders are actually talking to the same two guys, our hosts, mm-hmm. who are just actually sat in like an intergalactic basement. Just a little recording studio in their basement in right, their okay, apartment. Yeah. You know, they're just transmitting. Oh, is that is that why I have to close every so so many hours so that they can talk to the other people? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're just trying to jump between all of them. Yeah. They've got a lot. They're, they're spinning a lot of plates in this sequel. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's what they're doing. So for the first time, they're messing with twelve cultures simultaneously due to the unusual diversity and tribalism they've found on planet Earth. Mm-hmm. Because most, most planets they've been on have been unified under a single kind of god or a single leader. Yeah. It's, it's unusual for them to find a planet that is so divided as Earth is. Uh, so for the first few episodes, they're having a great time. They're causing wars and spreading panic across the whole world. <laughs> the, sh- uh, the show gets horrible reviews, as it always does, but it does get decent ratings. <laughs> then, Amy Adams gets brought in. Mm-hmm. So even though she's absolutely incorrect in all her interpretations of what's going on, she does unwittingly become very popular with the viewers of the show. Mm-hmm. Because uh, at first they find her misinterpretations of the farting and the smoke rings really hilarious. <laughs> like Imagine like they're just behind the screen, just like smoking and farting. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, Louise, human. Like, you know, it's, it's funny. It's like, <laughs> yeah. 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 So she becomes a comedy. So, so they can understand her. Oh, they completely understand her. Absolutely, right. yeah. They absolutely understand every word she is saying. Mm-hmm. Therein lies the comedy. Mm-hmm. So at first, she's a total figure of fun. All the viewers just think she's this hilarious, you know, punchline. Yeah. But then as the season progresses, people start to actually warm to her. And they really start to connect to her, kind of her positive attitude and her can-do spirits. And this causes a lot of think pieces in the intergalactic broadsheets mm-hmm. about uh, whether it's fair to manipulate primitive beings in this way. Yeah. <laughs> And worse, one of the aliens, uh, let's say, let's say Ryan Reynolds. Mm. If, if you're going to have Ryan Reynolds and Johnny Knoxville, Ryan Reynolds is going to be the more sympathetic of the two. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So let's say Ryan Reynolds actually starts to feel some kind of affection for her. Not necessarily like a romantic attraction, but just like he warms to her and he feels bad about treating her this way because she's just mm-hmm. trying so hard, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Uh, and this causes friction between the two hosts as the Johnny Knoxville character just wants to carry on tormenting the humans. He has no sense of responsibility for their you know well-being or whatever yeah um so that's going to be the main conflict in the film we're gonna have one host who's like actually i kind of like these people i want to stop torturing them and the other one's just like no no fuck it this is fun Carry <laughs> just keep on farting mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> anyway they end up having a huge fight and they end up splitting up like, their partnership because they're like an ant and deck kind yeah, of yeah, yeah so they end up dramatically splitting uh, ant and deck by the way dante that's a uh talk show duo what would, I, what, I what would be the American equivalent oh, okay. of Anton Deck um, I don't think we really have too many duos on talk shows which is kind of sad yeah I'm trying to think of like comedy duos or comedy pairings like I don't know let's say Amy Poehler and Tina Fey oh, yeah, fell out and just okay. yeah. weren't friends yeah. anymore I know it's not okay. quite the same but you know I'd say it's near enough 
Sure, sure, sure. But I mean, compared to Ryan Reynolds and Johnny Knoxville, I feel like oh. Tina Fey and Amy Poehler are operating at a somewhat higher level, you know? Yeah. I mean, also, a version of this exact film with those two playing the voices. Would also be great, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, I like that too. <laughs> not Anton Deck. Not Anton Deck. That would not be fun. No, that's a bit too provincial. But, yeah. Um, anyway, so Johnny Knoxville and Ryan Reynolds end up having a huge fight after the good... So, the, the, obviously, the scene in the original film where the bomb explodes. Mm. So, they know that's going to happen. And Johnny Knox was like, oh, that'll be great for the ratings, just let it happen. Yeah. And Ryan Reynolds is like, no, I like this woman, I don't. I can't let her die. Uh, so in that moment, Ryan Reynolds goes off script and pushes Amy Adams and Jerry Renner out of harm's way, mm-hmm. causing the two aliens to have a huge fight because he just ruined their big, you know, rating grabbing. Oh, and then, and then she got blown up moments. Mm-hmm. So they have a huge fight, split up, and Johnny Knoxville quits the show or is fired from the show, flounces back off to wherever, his planet, his home planet. Wait, sorry, why is Johnny Knoxville fired? Well, they just they split up. I don't know. Okay. They, they, he he doesn't. Want to, he he's no longer part of the show. Yeah, that leaves Ryan Reynolds behind, the more sympathetic one. And actually, seeing the future is a genuine ability that they have. Mm. That is genuinely something they can do in their species. Mm-hmm. But they've never used it for good before. They've only ever used it to uh, you know just to fuck people's minds. So now he's <laughs> like you know he, the show is wrapping up and he has to say goodbye to this woman who he's actually kind of felt some affection towards. And so with his future seeing powers, he knows that she's destined to have a daughter and that daughter's destined mm-hmm. to die young. So he lets her think that she's saving the world. <laughs> he, like, he gives her a gift, basically. So he's like, well, okay, she, she doesn't really understand anything, but I'll give her, I'll throw her a bone. Yeah. So he kind of lets her see in just enough of how they think and how they see time, etc. To, to make her think that she's actually communicated enough to save the world. And to, So he makes up all this nonsense about, yeah, we're going to help you now and you can help us in 3,000 years. That's just utter bollocks. He's just <laughs> making that up completely. Sure, sure. But in the process, he also gives her the slightly poisoned chalice, but he gives her the gift of seeing her own future. and mm-hmm. So prepares her for the fact that she's going to have a daughter and lets her think that she's going to have enough free will to have made the choice on her own to actually follow that through and to have that daughter so that she will appreciate every moment that she has mm-hmm. with Hannah. And that's it. And then the film ends with the TV show being cancelled and the Ryan Reynolds alien mending his ways, you know, swearing never to be on another tacky prank show ever again and joining the cast of Intergalactic Strictly Come Dancing instead. <laughs> <laughs> or Dancing with the Stars. That was amazing. Dancing with the Stars. That's better. Dancing with the Stars is the American version, sorry. Yeah. It's a bit of pun. If you oh, true, true, true. Well, yeah, I just think, clearly you're not very good at working out. Well, it is okay. So, dancer, you know the TV show Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, absolutely. In England, it's called Strictly Come Dancing. Nobody knows why. It's a stupid title. Dancing with the Stars is clearly a better title. It's because it came from Strictly Ballroom. Well, yeah, but it doesn't make any sense. No. But anyway, so sorry. But yeah, Dancing with the Stars is a better title. So yeah, he joins Intergalactic Dancing with the Stars. Mm-hmm. And yeah, end of film. Oh, yeah, lovely. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah, thank you. Good job. I think Dante is my favourite of all three of us. That's fair. No, no, I think Dante won. <laughs> is it just because it's depressing? It's, it's depressing, but also not. Like, it is and it isn't. Yeah, it's depressing true. and uplifting. Yeah. yeah. I could definitely, it's the one that oh. I could definitely see getting made. Yeah, initially I was going to have a sad ending, but I, I threw in the little the little happy ending. He did change something. Well, like, so. it, it is a sad ending, but it's but it's also, it's, it's bittersweet. Is that what bittersweet is? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it's happy yeah. and sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Oh, that really got to you, Harry. I'm, I'm it glad did. it was good because really, like in in the in the works, it was really bad. I was really not happy with it, mm-hmm. so uh, I had to pull in some help from uh, both my wife and uh, Phil Better. So, oh. and he said not to credit him, but I did. Well, there you Phil, go. <laughs> Phil Better is the Carrie Fisher of Beyond the Box. Huh? <laughs> script doctor, behind the scenes script doctor. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, so should we get some listener submissions? Yeah, sure. Do you want to start? Uh, I guess I better not. I'm very excited about this because I've purposely avoided them. So. <laughs> oh, I purposely went to uh, see see them because I was really struggling <laughs> with ideas. <laughs> yeah, I was too, but I didn't want to like copy somebody's, and I knew I would if I if I looked. So I was like, all right. Generally, mine like I'll I'll see one and I'll start writing something, but then it'll go in a completely different direction. Yeah. yeah. Like I'll use somebody's idea to yeah, sort fair. of kickstart my idea. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's, that's that's pretty much it. Let me just uh, find them. Maybe you're just more talented than me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. By the results of this episode, I do I do not think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was the one that actually eventually inspired mine. Ray Mann has said, uh, "What's a good name? What if Amy Adams wasn't the only human whose mind slash perception of time was altered? What if another person had been affected, but differently, and was seeking her out?" What if those two connecting acted as a signal to the aliens that a human evolution was underway and acted as a beacon to bring the aliens back? Oh, so it's like somebody in the world develops a psychic connection to Amy Adams. Uh, yeah, I think so. So okay. essentially, it didn't all happen in Montana. Like, somebody else was successful as well. Oh, I see. Okay. Because oh. the film hmm. really does picture it as though, like, the Americans are the best in the world. Oh, I see. Oh, which, so it's one of the... <laughs> which, 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 of course, sorry, Dante, of course, that, that you are. You are. No, no, we're not. It's okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's that's that. And that just inspired me to sort of think about, oh, yeah, different location. Let's just, oh, what, what, was, the, what was going on in Britain? <gasps> Let's do British comedy. Yeah, and, sure. Uh, yeah. What's know, happening I'd... in Denmark? Sure. Yeah. One thing I, sorry, this is back to the film, but one thing I did appreciate was that they had the screen of the other locations and, like, Australia and Britain were talking to them. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's probably accurate. So the ones that they have the closest relationships to. I liked the random throwaway line where it says, so what connects these 12 locations? What was the initial thing that they said that connected them? There was something semi legit that I can't remember what it was now. And then it was like, but then the second thing is that Sheena Easton had a hit single in all of these locations in 1980. <laughs> oh, yeah. But then I looked at the, then I looked at the location. I was like, Sheena Easton had a hit single in Siberia? Really? <laughs> that doesn't seem realistic. See, that's that's where the film got unrealistic. Yeah, like, completely. It did not depict Stop. accurately <laughs> Sheena Easton's global reach in 1980. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so on to the next one. Um, oh, look who it goddamn is. Phil Better. <clears throat> so he's got a sequel idea. This isn't the first time aliens have visited. The last time caused the Second World War. Also, they caused the Mandela Effect. What's the Mandela effect? Oh, I was hoping somebody else would know. <laughs> I don't know what the Mandela effect is. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I oh, is uh, I gotta Google it. Or it? Harry can because my internet's bad. I'll do it. It's all right. Mandela effect. Look, 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 Phil. You're teaching us. We're learning. Uh... <laughs> I should remember this. I'm like a sciencey guy. <laughs> You're like a sciencey guy. I'm like so scientific. Um, yeah, well, okay. Like a sciencey guy means I used to want to be an inventor, but now I've given up on ah. that. So. Oh, the Mandela effect is evidence that you may have experienced an event from a different reality. Finding others with similar memories can affirm this. So I guess that is the effect that is in this film. I don't know why it's named after Nelson Mandela, but sure. <laughs> Maybe it's not. Maybe there's. It could be another Mandela. Yes. It might not be Nelson Mandela. Fine. Nelson Mandela's Maybe it's brother. like just a weird version of Deja Vu. Yeah, it, basically, it seems to basically be a version of Deja Vu. Mm. Sure. Okay. Lee Agney said a sequel called Departure. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. The human try and go to the alien planet, mm-hmm. which was my initial concept was that, which I feel is the only straight sequel that you can really do with this. The humans try and go to the alien planet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's supposed to be yeah. like 3,000 years later, you're, you're going to help us out. Oh, sure. It's so 3,000 years future Earthlings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it could be a montage of the last 3,000 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was trying to do a, a direct sequel, 
with like the 3000 years later i had this like idea that the humans would try to find their planet but like couldn't but then i couldn't come up with a justification as to why they couldn't find it so mm. that's why that idea died <laughs> <laughs> for me it was just like well what's this alien world going to be like but it's difficult because the aliens they're so uh, well dante i think you said they're like anonymous or something yeah they're ambiguous and like yeah there's just sort of no characteristics yeah, really to defined. them yeah don't, don't really know where to go from there Okay, Josh Curie says, Amy Adams is teaching people the heptapod language at the end of arrival, right? Having said a few years later, when the language is taught to a few select students, maybe military or whatever, but each of them struggles when they begin to see visions of their future. Many assume visions of injury, death, etc. are predestined to happen, but one rejects this and wonders how things can still happen that way when they already know what to expect. So that student looks for answers in specific words of heptapod to do with time, possibly, or future. Boom, whole new dimension of the language opens up. The ink exists in three dimensions Ooh. and shifts over time. And when you can read it, you perceive all possibilities of past and future. Have that realisation play out against a backdrop of more immediate tension and threat. Maybe the language is being kept secret by the government and military. And the students are split about what they should do with their knowledge. They see disasters that something might be able to prevent, etc., oh. etc. Et Call it casualty. Who wrote that? Uh, that was written by jo- very uh, Josh Curry. Josh Curry, who was clearly stoned out of his gourd when he came up with that idea. <laughs> <laughs> really? I mean, he's just taking this film to the next level. Sure. With the help of a massive bong. Where? Hey, I'm not taking away, I'm just saying. You know. Paul Spooner says all male reboot in that laughing emoji. Okay, yeah. So, uh, thank you, Paul. <laughs> uh, Jason Croxon uh, says arrivals. Aliens have landed once again, and the government knows to call linguistic professor Louise Banks, Amy Adams, who has already proven her skills with the he- uh, heptapods. So once again, armed with only a whiteboard and pen, she enters the ship to make contact with these visitors, known only as xenomorphs. Oh, nice. okay. That's not going to end well for her. <laughs> no. And that's her predestined death. <laughs> yeah, she yeah. saw it coming. She can't say she didn't see it coming. <laughs> I see inferior sequels. <laughs> uh, okay, I have a few as well. Uh, Garrett Hunter said, It's 3,000 years into the future. The heptapods have returned to enlist the help of the humans, as they requested in the original mm. film. The Earth is full of people who have been taught the language of the aliens, and, and it has not been good for the human mind. Experiencing time as a flat circle has spiralled half the planet into madness. The heptapods regret reaching us because they see the destruction it has sent our planet into. A linguistic scientist who has been studying Dr. Louise Banks's journals is our protagonist and window into the confusion and fear that comes with seeing past, present and future all at once. Mm. That's interesting. So the aliens have made a terrible mistake and ruined our civilization by making people into these crazy nihilists who know exactly what's going to happen in their lives. Mm-hmm. Okay. I feel like that's what would happen though. Yeah. Because like my initial thought was like, even just watching the film, was like the human brain can't handle that. No, it would only end <laughs> badly, yeah. That's it. If you knew you were going to die at a specific time, you'd become this complete nihilist. You'd be like, well, nothing else is going to kill me, so fuck yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Then you could be like the ultimate daredevil. Indeed, yeah. You'd be Johnny Knoxville. Maybe he knows. Maybe he's always known. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. Actually the wisest man on the planet. Yeah. Uh, Louise Elizabeth Ball. <laughs> Sorry, Johnny Knoxville being the wisest man on the planet. <laughs> yeah. uh, Louise Elizabeth Ball, friend mm-hmm. of ours, said... Departure. Mm-hmm. Well done, Louise. Very original. The aliens realise how fucked the Earth is and they're like, bye, bitch, this shit's fucked. So I guess it's like they come down to the planet as it is now and see Donald Trump and Theresa May and all that stuff. And they're like, nope, these are going to be no help to us in 3,000 years. Sure. Because yeah. they won't be here. 
Uh, Drew Mancini also said departure. Like, that should just be a drinking game now, just for people who say departure. Uh, Robert McCoy said, but what does a sequel mean when time is non-linear? So, okay. That's fair. Yeah. That's what is fair. a sequel? Is yeah. Completely fair. Yeah. Mika Munnanen said, arrival two, asking to stay over for a few more days. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Adam Capitano said, arrival two, nah, arrival. <laughs> As in, nah, nah, nah. Okay, sure. Arrival, yeah. All right. Mike Carey said, Arrival, revival. Arrival, arrival, arrives. <laughs> I feel like I should try and read that in my best, like Amy Sedaris, Princess Carolyn from Bojack Horseman mm-hmm. yeah, voice. Please. Yeah. Arrival, revive. I, I, don't, I can't do that voice. No, no you can't. <laughs> arrival, arrival, arrives. But yeah, puntastic. Uh, Scott Rowling said, Late arrival, layover. <laughs> uh, Dan Costa said, Louise Banks, the Amy Adams character, now runs a, a rec centre for at risk tweens. Everything is going well until real estate developer Beale Elzebub, played by Mark Lynn Baker, I don't know who that is, uh, shares with Louise his plans to buy the rec centre at an upcoming public auction. Louise has hired her friend, Colonel G.T. Weber, Forrest Whitaker, to take care of the bookkeeping. He did not share with her that they could not afford the mortgage payments and now they're in danger of losing the centre altogether. Just when all hope seems lost, her old alien pals come back. With the help of the aliens and some plucky tweens, they might just be able to save that rec centre. <laughs> So, I guess that's just an inspiring teen movie. Mm-hmm. Woodruff Lepukta said, Arrival 2, Arrived. Yep. Yeah. Ben Batchelet said, Arrival 2, Baggage Pre-Check. A sequel that happens before the original. Uh, Grace Tomzak said, Arrival 2, Gate Change. Mm-hmm. You're spotting a theme here, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. A lot of people use, use flights quite a lot, don't they? Yeah, I've got a very jet setty uh, Facebook following. Zachary Pierce said, Arrival 2, To Rival. There's two mm. rival. Uh, I, I got that one. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you happy with that? I'll take it. <laughs> cool. cool. Harry approves. Matthew Hedge said, Arrival 2. Turns out if you can communicate through time, you can change the future so that super sad thing doesn't need to happen, you jerk film. There we go. Yeah. Will Buckingham said, Arrival 2. A little less conversation, a little more action. Starring Hologram Elvis Presley. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Uh, James... Brzezinski said, Arrival 2, just kidding, humans is tasty. So, like, <laughs> the aliens are actually just cannibals. Great. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Well, not cannibals. No. Oh, oh sorry, sorry, they, they just want to eat you. Predators. Predators, predators, sure. They are the predators, mm. sure. Uh, Joseph Wade said, Old Amy Adams shows young Biff how to use circular vision, or whatever you call it, <laughs> to, win at sp- to win at sports betting. Oh. Setting up a future oh, where dear. President Biff orders all the heptapod ships nuked right out of the sky. <laughs> Great. Oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. Christy Kilgore Hiltner said, Arrival 2. So you thought you were done crying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dan Rabinowitz said, Arrival 2, Contact Free. Have you seen the movie Contact with Jodie Foster? No. It'd be a good one to do on Two Geeks Two Movies, your other podcast. With what? We're Arrival. Sim- oh, right. Similar film. Okay. Smart sci fi. Jodie yeah, Foster. Sure. In the Amy Adams role, basically. Mm-hmm. Walt Williams said, Arrival 2, take us to your lead. Oh, shit, it's him? Really? We're off. <laughs> Yeah, another good Donald Trump mm-hmm. joke there. <laughs> William Evans said, Now gifted with super language, A.B. Adams' character starts growing extra limbs, seven in total, and head explodes. It's revealed that the heptopod aliens weren't aliens, but hyper-advanced future humans from the future. Oh, I see. So learning the language makes her evolve faster, uh, and she yep. becomes one of them. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. Okay. Uh, Ross Burton said... Oh, I'm done with this. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
But he I did. Love, I love doing the intro there. Yeah. But he does have a. Well, I think it's actually a very good concept, despite the uninspired sequel title, <laughs> which is it's a shot for shot remake, but done backwards. Which actually, considering how this film messes with time, could be quite interesting. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That would be really interesting. I like how you just made fun of Departure, though, but that was my title. <laughs> well, sorry, it's just it's been everyone's title. It's been... Well, you got that first, and then yeah. like five other people have done the same. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I like mine because it has double meaning. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. I think you've made the best use of departure so far. Well, thank you. Also, I'm glad that of the three of us, one of us did actually go with departure. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, I was really afraid you guys were going to as well. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I so nearly did. <laughs> uh, Blokebusters at Blokebusters said, I'd quite like to see a prequel set on the ship that we are familiar with. Obviously subtitled, but we get to see the aliens starting off, discussing their upcoming mission, what they know will happen, and their hopes for the future, past and present. Oh, so I guess that's kind of like mine. It's like from the aliens' perspective. Mm. Title, Departure. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, guys. Come on. (laughs) Quiz and Hers, at Quiz and Hers, said, This film is too good for a sequel, so instead, why don't we start a cinematic universe based on Ted Chiang's short stories, which is the short stories of the Mm -hmm. person who wrote this short story. So yeah, that's that. Apparently, Exhalation's very good. Not read it, but fine. Sure. Uh, at one Aussie nerd one said, the first movie being about aliens helping the humans because of them needing our help in the future. So obviously, the sequel was, should be, how do we help them in three thousand years? Mm-hmm. What happens to them? What do we need to do for them? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that's interesting. Has it got a title? No, that's it. Okay, is it Departure? Yes, it's Departure. <laughs> let's just let's just shoot this Departure. <laughs> and finally, uh, a conversation with Jason Croxon, who's yeah. already contributed one for you, had him on for us as well, at ACW Pod, said, Freaky Arrival. So as Louise Banks, the Amy Adams character, enters the pod, it is struck by lightning. At the same time, Harry Chappell... <laughs> is, <laughs> what a ridiculous name. ...is recording a podcast when his house is also struck by lightning. <laughs> This causes the two to switch places. <laughs> the film... <laughs> oh, it's funny for two reasons. Yeah. The film continues as normal, but due to Harry's inability to remember anything he sees, as demonstrated quite regularly on this very podcast. This is all his words. I've not put anything in his mouth. <laughs> the glimpses of the future do not help, and China blows up the world. Oh, God. <laughs> Good job, Harry. Yeah, well done, Harry. Great. I can see where he said that until last. Yeah, that was a good point. <laughs> That's pretty good. So, yeah. Well done, Jason. <sighs> I, I need to have some words with Jason, I think. <laughs> but yeah, so those are our sequel ideas for Arrival. If you have any sequel ideas for Arrival or any films we've done in the past, please let us know. We are Beyond the Box Set. You can find us at beyondtheboxset.com. Our podcast is available on all good podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, and Google Play. You can also find us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Beyond the Box Set or at Beyond the Box Set on Twitter. And we are also available on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash beyond the box set and we have exclusive merchandise on tpublic.com again just search beyond the box set and don't forget with this is episode 93 you'll have already noticed so mm-hmm. obviously episode 100 is coming up soon it is episode 100 is going to be a live show Ooh. so january 19th 2019 mm-hmm. we are going to be doing a live show in the back room of our local pub the chemic tavern uh, please come along we're going to be doing et i think yeah and uh, well i mean more details will happen at some point but uh everything you need right now is at uh beyondtheboxit.com slash 100 sure uh, if you go there then uh, that'll just direct you to the facebook page which will just uh you know let us know that you're coming yeah, you're coming dante right yeah absolutely i definitely have money to fly to the uk <laughs> yeah great look forward to seeing you good but actually dante on in all seriousness thank you very much for joining us on this episode it's been an yeah, absolute thank pleasure you. 
thank you for having me. It was it was a lot of fun. Good. Would you like to take this opportunity to plug your podcast or podcasts? Yeah. So my one show is uh, Play D&D, where we take characters, existing characters from movies and TV shows and uh, take them on new stories in D&D. You guys are welcome on both of my podcasts, actually. And the second podcast is uh, Let's Get Contextual, where we review a movie, TV show, comic book, or character. And then obviously I have Kid Theory in the works. I've got potentially another one in the works. I've got a lot in the works, so <laughs> look forward. Cool. Sounds very good. And where can people find those podcasts? Oh, yeah. So you can find them both on uh, iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And uh, if you want to follow us, uh, there's a Play D&D Facebook page and then at Play D&D Pod on Twitter and Instagram and at Let's Get Context also on Twitter and Instagram for both those shows. Fantastic. Uh, okay, so next week, Harry, we have another uh, guest episode. Next week, the start of Christmas. It is the right? start of our Christmas season, yes. Uh, <laughs> Harry. Well, a yo-ho-ho no, to you, hey, no, I'll, I'll, I'll be I'll be fine with it when it's here, but like right now, uh, your laptop doesn't have the date on it. It's, uh, like, it's the 22nd of November now, like it's just too early. Sure, sure, sure. should be sure, thinking okay. about Christmas. Fine. Disagree, well, hope- you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 I'm right. Well, hopefully next week's guest and the next film will put you in more of a festive mood. Mm -hmm. So, yes, it's going to be our Christmas season. So throughout December, we are going to do four, I guess four, Mm -hmm. uh, Christmas-themed movies. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start with a guest slot from long-time listener Paul Hawkins from Blokebusters podcast, Mm -hmm. at Blokebusters. Always good for a sequel idea. He's always sending us good stuff. So he has decided that we should, next week, we should discuss Edward Scissorhands, the classic Mm -hmm. Tim Burton festive question mark movie yeah sure is it is that a christmas movie (laughs) it's controversial it it has christmas themes there are christmas trees in it it's true i feel like that's the same argument as like die hard it has yeah exactly in it (laughs) yeah so oh i'd say die hard 100 percent a christmas movie well we'll Um, we'll have that debate in the episode edward scissorhands it's a it's 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 not a strong christmas it's not it's not set on christmas day no for example but uh that's a, that's a nice easy way to ease into December. Yeah, exactly. That's a weird movie. I have opinions about that. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll throw in a, a sequel idea. Please do. Yeah, please share your opinions. Yeah. But yeah, it'll, it, maybe if Harry, if you're not fully on board with Christmas just yet, it'll be a good way to ease you in. You know? mm. Yeah. So, yeah, with yeah, a semi-Christmas sure. movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great. I can't wait. So yeah, join us next week for Edward Scissorhands. Thank you again, Dante, for joining us. And, thank yeah, you. We'll, thank you, Harry. Mm. Oh, and I guess that, that means that this is the last episode we're doing in November. So uh, just quickly want to mention that me and John have been doing Movember all month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we've uh, both shaved off our beards and grown some stupid moustaches, mm-hmm. which means that for this whole month, we both look like idiots. Yeah. Um, Speak for yourself. I think I look sexy. <laughs> I'm with John on this one. <laughs> <laughs> this is a podcast. You can't see us. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'm with John. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we're uh, we're we're supporting November. So that's the uh, the fight against um, well suicide prevention, men's mental health, prostate cancer, and testicular cancer. Mm-hmm. So if you would if you would like to help us raise some money for that, you can go to what is it? Chemic Tavern. Chemic slash Movember. Tell you what, beyondtheboxset.com slash Movember. I can set up a link. Sure. Okay. Yeah, com slash Movember, and uh, that'll direct you to our uh, Movember page where you can. Send us, or well, not send us some money, but donate some money. Yeah, we're not going to. Yeah, none of that goes steal, to us. We're not stealing it. We promise. <laughs> it's not a scam. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so thank you if you uh, would like to do that. That'd be great. Cool. Yeah, we'd appreciate it because our faces are cold. Yeah, it's a bad time of year to do this. <laughs> it's, it's it's a self sacrifice. You know. I guess. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, thanks again, Dante, for coming on. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. And uh, well, see you next time. See you next week. Cool. Bye. Bye. Kangaroo.